Earlier this year, hundreds of talented fishermen were on the hunt for the biggest marlin they could find off of the coast of Cabo San Lucas. The area where the Gulf of Cortez meets the Pacific Ocean is home to Brisbee's Black and Blue, which is world-renowned for having one of the biggest payouts of any fishing tournament. But due to the tournament's rules, luck plays an outsized role. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Bryce Miller, you're a columnist in the sports department for the Union Tribune. And recently, you had an amazing story about this incredible fishing tournament that happens off of Cabo. When you explain, what is this tournament? It's called the Bisbee's Black and Blue Marlin Tournament. It's held uh, in late October every year. Uh, This was the 39th year they've done it, so they're creeping up to their 40th anniversary. Uh, Explained in the story that this started uh, a guy um, named Bisbee, obviously, this was just a way to market his fishing tackle, and it was kind of, as I said in the story, a sun-soaked tax deduction. Mm-hmm. So he got a trip to Cabo every year to do this thing, and it kind of grew to uh, levels that they could not have expected. For example, this year, 126 boats, but the the kind of benchmark that they hit, they had the biggest payout in the history of the tournament. It was over $4.5 million. Essentially what happens is these teams come together, they decide... They're only chasing these two species, <clears throat> black or blue marlin, nothing mm-hmm. else counts. And they decide how much to contribute to these jackpots. It's it's kind of gambling on water. And um, depending on that, if they catch the right fish of a minimum size on any of the three days, they're in line for payouts that have ranged you know, over a million dollars. And a 27-year-old captain named Evan Salve in Point Loma last year won over $3 million on one fish. Mm-hmm. And how do, exactly does this jackpot work? Can you kind of walk us through the basic rules of this tournament? Sure. Um, th- these jackpots are just different categories that you can enter. Uh, and then if you're entered in these categories and you catch a qualifying fish, you win that jackpot money in that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have something called across the board, which is essentially entering all the available categories but one. There's a very odd... I won't get into the sinkhole of this little oddity on the side. Mm-hmm. But essentially, to be across the board in all these categories would cost each boat $71,500. Wow. Yeah, it's $5,000 to enter the tournament, but it's much more expensive to gamble on your ability to catch the right fish in this tournament. And I guess I'm not a sports fisher. What do you need to have and what are kind of the skills needed to like win at this tournament? Because marlins are huge. I can't imagine this is easy. Uh, The best skill is luck, they will tell you, Um, right place, right time. But um, others will say that preparation fuels luck, and I think there's some truth to both of those statements. You make decisions in this tournament if you're going to fish with live bait or with lures. Uh, Most people go toward live bait. I think 80% of the fish caught in this tournament, roughly. Anecdotally, I was told that that's uh, based on live bait. And you go out to one of these three days, you, a lot of these uh, boats will come down and pre-fish the tournament, try different waters. You're right on the edge between where the Pacific Ocean meets the Sea of Cortez at Cabo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a 40-mile radius where you're allowed to fish, and you can be on either of those sides. Some people uh, choose very specific areas. Some people choose structure. Some people choose, uh, you know, time of day, current, you know. That, that's the, the strategy behind this event is how you think it through and put yourself in position to catch a fish. Uh, but once you've, once you've hooked a fish, 
you can lose fish. You can catch the wrong fish. The qualifying minimum is 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. And one of the mechanisms they have to create a higher release rate in the tournament, which hovers around generally 97 to 98% of the, the fish caught, if it's under 300 pounds and you bring it to the weigh station, you're deducted points. You're penalized in the overall team mm-hmm. uh, competition. So you want to make sure you have a fish that you're pretty confident is going to make it. Um, the fish that were winning this year were, you know, the Stella June that had Evan Salve on it, the captain from Point Loma, uh, caught a 466-pound fish on a day where it earned him almost nothing. And the day before, a 466-pound fish, incredibly the same exact weight, mm-hmm. a day earlier won a boat uh, more than $1.7 million. So that's the oddity of the math and the gambling and the day and the time and all of that as a factor. So it really is all these moving parts that can determine how much money you're taking on, depending on the tournament it goes, right? Right, absolutely. And that's the best example, that uh, a fish of the same exact size one day is worth a handful of, you know, I think for finishing fourth in the tournament, one day that fish was worth $11,000, a day earlier it was worth $1.7 million. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to trying to fish these marlin, where do they tend to hang out? Are they just kind of free-roaming, chasing after prey, or what do we know about the science of where these fish tend to be? Uh, well, I talked to a, another captain, Corey Grodsky, who spends part of his time in La Jolla and part of his time in La Paz on the, uh, in the Baja, and you know he, he walked through that very exact question. Uh, most of these fish are going to be in deeper water, mm-hmm. but if you're looking for rock structures, a lot of captains target those areas. Uh, Looking up, if you can imagine this in your mind's eye, you know, a sunny day on the water, these fish are looking up and seeing the silhouettes of bait or lures, and that that attracts them up toward the surface. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to create this show above them that they both see and engage with, and then those fish will come up uh, to chase bait uh, much higher in the the water column than they would have been normally. Mm -hmm. So basically you just kind of need to, like, tease them out, and you need to have, like, the shadows and the right angle and that kind of thing so the fish actually gets attracted by it, I imagine, right? Yeah, it's angle, it's speed. If it's lures, it's, you know, how what does the swimming lure look like? Is it a natural? Uh, A lot of the the boats, like I know one, uh, the Stella June again, for example, they fished five-pound skipjacks. So they go out in the morning before each day of the tournament, and they catch their own bait. And then they use that bait that day uh, mm-hmm. to attract marlin. Yeah, I guess it makes sense if you're thinking about it, because that's what these fish are eating all that's the time. That's what they eat. Yeah. And it one thing that I found kind of weird about this story is just how the payouts range so much. Can you kind of give us a rundown of the results of what happened? Yeah, we, we walked through a little bit of this, but the, the 466-pounder on the first day was $1.75 million, and the reason that one was so much more is they were in that side category that I was trying to dodge mm-hmm. explaining, but it's called the Chupacabra, and it's $20,000 a day to be in that. So for a three-day tournament, that's $60,000 worth of investment for that one jackpot category. And I think the payout, the total grouping, and there are only like seven, eight, nine boats got in that out of the 126. So it's a it's a rare uh, participatory category. Uh, but I think the total payout was somewhere around $480,000 for that one. So by winning day one, winning in that particular category, they cashed the biggest check. Um, and then the other two checks, I think the check on day two and the Stella June, uh, which just incredible they they had the biggest fish of the day and there was only one more fish on the water and they got mm-hmm. beat by that final fish 
So instead of cashing a check in the range of $1.2 to $1.3 million, they slid, backslid all the way to $11,000 in That's the crazy. overall tournament on the only fish remaining in the day. And then on the third day, a boat named Tranquilo, uh, I think, cashed a check in the range of like $1.4 million. But mm-hmm. what was unique about those payouts, this time in particular, 39 years in this tournament, they've never given out one check which was larger, more than one check that was larger than a $1 million. This year they gave out three. Wow. So that was pretty precedent-setting, the way the money kind of split up over those days. Mm-hmm. And who are the kind of people that enter in this tournament? So who are these you know, amazing sport fishers? It's just, the range is pretty staggering. Um, as I tried to explain a bit, or at least uh, you know, in broad strokes, explain mm-hmm. a little. Uh, you can have you know multi multi million dollar boat owners, and then twenty something year olds manning the deck, captains. As I said, Evan Salve was twenty seven when he won three million dollars. Uh, so this combination of uh, people on the boats themselves is unique, generally. And then they've had, uh, they come from all over the world. They've had teams from Japan, Israel, South Africa, uh, all over Europe, um, Australia. So they come from all over the world. This is, as it said in the story, the Super Bowl of sport fishing. It's the mm-hmm. world's richest tournament. So that that lures, so to speak, mm-hmm. people from all over the world. And it's not just a shot at the money. What's incredible of all this money and people who travel from all over the world this year's tournament, there were only nine qualifying fish in wow. over 3,000 hours of collective fishing. So all these teams, 126 boats from all over the world, only nine made it to the scales as qualifiers, and only three cashed the really big check. But just that sliver of a shot at that kind of money and the respect it gets you in the industry, there's a lot of overlap with people in the sport fishing world. Uh, that's, a, that's a draw as well. Mm-hmm. And... Sport fishing is one of those sports that is kind of, you know, niche. It's not the biggest audience. It's not the thousands of people, you know, not a ton of people are doing it. But has it been affected by what we're, we've been hearing about the state of the oceans with overfishing and plastics? Are, are these affecting these massive fish that these people are going after, or is that not yet a concern for the sport? I'm certain there's impact of some kind, but I, I don't know that I've discussed that with anybody in any detail. I mm-hmm. didn't have uh, any of the people involved in the tournament bring that up as a, a factor this year in particular compared to 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but I would only argue one point that you were making there, that it's niche. It's niche in the sense of a sport. I think that's true. I think you're right about that. But it's it's broader because it's also the entire fishing industry. Mm-hmm. So there's commercial fishing in San Diego. There's you know all the long range boats, tourist boats, uh, captain. You know these guys have have to work more than three days a year. They can't just sustain mm-hmm. themselves on the very few checks that come out of the Bisbee's tournament. So they they kind of overlap and intertwine. And it, it's not just people who compete in fishing tournaments. People know these captains and these crew members because they're fueling a multi-multi-million-dollar industry right here in San Diego. Mm, it makes sense. It's not just people who do this for fun. It's people whose livelihoods are depending upon this, kind of teaming up with maybe someone who wants to give them the money to compete, basically, right? Right. That's that's what happens in, in most of the cases. So, clearly, people with a lot of resources are a part of this tournament. Are there any celebrities or people of note that have been part of this? Yeah, do, uh, Dr. Phil's been in multiple tournaments. The late actor Jan Michael Vincent, uh, Rick Mears, who won the Indianapolis 500 uh, four times, Tito Ortiz, the mixed martial artist. I, I talked to uh, 
Um, some listeners will remember the older ones, Willie Ames, the actor who was in Charles in Charge and Eight is Enough. In Charles in Charge, he was with Scott Bayo, kind of teenage heartthrob, you know, mop-haired blonde kid from the beach kind of mm-hmm. kind of a sitcom. Anyway, he, he entered one tournament uh, kind of at a weird request, and he fought a marlin for 21 and a half hours overnight. Crazy. It was a crazy story. But there are other crazy stories, and maybe one is – um, a few years back, I think it was 2014, there was a hurricane that really devastated the marina and, and the Cabo area. And this tournament, they kind of, it, there's a symbiotic relationship. The, the city, the town uh, relies on the tournament, the tournament relies on the town. And um, as a gesture, the Bisbees uh, opened it up and they were going to pay for entries the next year after this hurricane for local fishermen and people who normally from Cabo area would be, mm-hmm. you know, they'd be unable to fish in this tournament. And one of the teams that they funded uh, represented an orphanage in Cabo and had some, you know, orphans from from the orphanage over the years and, and people. And they went out and they actually won the tournament. And they won this entire giant sport fishing tournament with, like, kind of a rookie crew in a random situation based on a hurricane. And there's a movie coming out. Uh, it's going to star Dennis Quaid, I guess, and it's called, like, On the Line, I believe. But mm-hmm. the, but it, this tournament, uh, it's the kind of thing that can happen. It can generate a movie, and uh, that's what happened out of that situation. Yeah, events like these are kind of ripe for these kind of one-of-a-million-lifetime stories or just yeah, things that are right. really surprising. All right. Bryce Miller, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. In other news, a Torrey Pines graduate is among the 2020 Rhodes Scholar class. Francisca Vasconcelos joins the prestigious group of 32 Americans who will study at the University of Oxford. Vasconcelos is currently at MIT, focusing on quantum computing. At Oxford, she will spend two years earning two master's degrees, one in mathematics and the foundation of computer science, and the other in statistical science. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. If you also like your news in your email inbox, we've got you covered. You can sign up for breaking news, top headlines, business, sports, entertainment, watchdog, caregiving, and more. Plus emails for Pacific Magazine and a host of community newspapers. Just go to unionship.com newsletters. Until next time.